Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Fun Told Stories Below the Line. And in today's episode, we're talking to an amazing woman who has an outstanding worth ethic. She brings 100% of her energy to everything she does. She's a freelance first assistant director, stage manager, and documentarian. I met this individual early on in my career and we've been friends since. I am happy to call her one of my close friends, my work partner, my roommate. Maggie Sauter. Yeah. Uh, it's me. How I'm not hosting. You? This is so weird. Um, I'm good. Going? It's going okay. We're separated. You're yeah. in Arizona. I'm so. in Arizona right now uh, with my fam. But That's super yeah, fun. You, yeah, I was just in the Bay Area. I was mm-hmm. chilling. That was nice. Seeing my parents, socially, socially distancing. That's good. Um, but you know, I'm doing okay. So let's get right into it. Tell Ask the people me. who you are, where did you grow up, and how did you find your passion? I grew up in Fairfax, California, which is a tiny town in Northern California. It's like a hippie town. Pretty fun. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a lot of, uh, like a lot of kids start off and they're like, I had a video camera when I was two and all this stuff. And I didn't really do that. I think something that I always like am so thankful for is that I watched a lot of behind the scenes of Lord of the Rings. Um, and I think that later on life when I, after I took a year off and was a nanny um, after high school, I went to community college in my hometown thinking that was going to be it. Um, I was going to do some community college and then try to figure out like what my life was. And I actually got into like YouTube and I thought like smaller spaces to create content and documentaries was really cool. And so I went into it uh, at Santa Barbara City College for a few years. um, And that was fun. Did I got my associates in uh, film production, film and TV production. And I realized there that being on set is fun and I suddenly remembered all of those memories I had when I watched Lord of the Rings and how fun it was and all I wanted to do was be on set and so I was like oh okay cool this is cool finally I found my passion I wanted to be a first AD Um, it was because I was on this set where this AD wasn't doing their job for most of it and there was this one day we had pickups and I got everyone out on time and I realized I didn't want to be a director I didn't want to be some cinematographer I, I like I mean, as much as I wanted to be, I I just knew that uh, being an AD, helping other people, and then just constantly learning was kind of what I wanted to do in the industry. Mm -hmm. So then I had this opportunity to go to a four-year college uh, at Columbia College Chicago, where I met you. (laughs) And uh, I was between being a script supervisor and an AD. I came out of college really into ADing. Um, You know, ADing is it, but... Yeah, but you know, you you really have like a, a passion for problem solving. I think that's what makes you such a great AD. And yeah, you know, when you were my first AD too, and I don't know, it just comes natural to you. I think the problem solving thing and the helping other people. I didn't really want to be the director, but I wanted to be able to help the director create like create these beautiful things that maybe mm-hmm. I didn't even think of, or maybe I had some ideas about, but like mm-hmm. you know, could you know if we had a good relationship, could talk about it. But ultimately, yeah. I was just, I wanted to be there to help you, you know, your creative expression. And that's like, why I think when it comes to like, passion, I think, yeah, I think I, like you said, I think my passion is really problem solving and mm-hmm. um, being helpful and being yeah. there uh, for other people. So uh, like, I think that can apply to lots of things. And recently, anti-racism. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm probably going to get back into like documentary work. Can you tell us what your uh, job title was before COVID, your right. job and your career title? 
Yeah. So I guess my career title was like freelance first AD, I'd like to say, uh, stage manager. Um, and stage managing is really how I made my money. I think yeah. ADing was like a fun freelance way to get some credits towards the DGA, which I think we're going to talk about later. But um, yeah. usually I, I use those uh, to practice more than anything. I, I like yeah. have a hard time calling myself an AD, but I think that that's, I, I mm -hmm. like to say it was my job because it was everything that I was passionate about at the time. Yeah. Uh, it was very like my thing, but stage managing is how I made my money. Um, and I fell into that because I just like applied for it on Indeed thinking I was like really, um, I thought I was really underqualified, but I wasn't. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I would say I was a stage manager. And yeah. now in quarantine, um, I don't have a job. I was laid off. Uh, yeah. And so now during quarantine, I've been focusing a lot of my time on art, on mental health, on, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of things that we've been thinking about. But ultimately, uh, when the movement got really big, when Black Lives Matter got really big, um, I put my whole self into educating myself and being, um, being actively anti-racist uh, mm -hmm. as much as I can be and uh, learning about you know allyship and uh, being a co-conspirator in all of this so um, yeah. that's kind of what I do now I, I think trying to commit myself um, yeah. to that. No, no that's great I think you know that's what everybody should be doing during this time it's just to if you got the time and that government money you know yeah yeah <laughs> so Maggie tell us how did you get to where you are now where do you want to be and also if you can because I know you also want to get into the DGA um just kind of like that process too because I'm sure that's yeah. going to be aligned with your journey my little journey into Los Angeles after I was out of college I did internships. I'm very, very privileged that I got the opportunity to go to college and, um, and go to like a four-year college at least. Uh, you know, I was only going to do my associates and then um, I couldn't really say no to going to Columbia. And so um, I, I think I'm very privileged that I got a really like a much faster journey. Um, it feels like, I feel like I, I advanced 10 years because I had like four years in school. Uh, you, you don't need school to make it into this industry, but I do believe when I got out of school and I got put into a semester, you know, a semester in LA program and I got put into uh, a, a couple, um, I had two internships, one on set, one offset. I was able to like do that because of my school, uh, but that's because I took advantage of those opportunities because I knew how lucky I was to have those opportunities, my goodness. But I think that you don't really need school to make it happen. It might be a little harder sometimes, but ultimately find people, find like an organization, find an institution that you can bring yourself into and just like make sure that it's really solid and make sure you believe mm -hmm. in what those people believe in. I uh, was a part of two internships, one of them being a little questionable. They all used the PAs, um, all the interns were PAs. They worked for free for multiple, multiple hours in order to, you know, maybe be a PA one day, when in reality, all they're gonna do is hire more interns. Um, they're never gonna hire you as anyone else. No. And honestly, they did a really good job. They've called me back a couple times. They gave me a, a second unit scripty job. Um, it was great, but I was not paid throughout any of it. Um, right. So, you know, and eventually they were like, hey, like we wanna pay you for some of your services. And I was like, cool, but I've got bigger plans over here mm -hmm. now. <laughs> But so during all of that, I was like, okay, I'm gonna go find the people on this set that are cool. Um, and one of them came up to me and Kiriti came up to me and she was like, oh my gosh, you do good work. You know, you've been fighting really hard to get all these jobs on set. Um, you know, I see you, 
I see you and you can do this. And, you know, don't say you want to be an AD, you are an AD. She gave me my first AD job out here, all women set. Uh, it was all women produced, all women set, all everything about a, uh, it's called Control-Alt-Delete. You should check it out. It's about a, uh, um, a clinic, like a Planned Parenthood kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and I was like obsessed with that. I'm a feminist and I was like, hell yeah. And so, um, and then ever since then, I've had almost all, all women sets for my AD jobs, which yeah. is really great. And then, you know, my other internships have gotten me things uh, with like college humor and other things like that. Just connecting with people. Actually, really good story. I know I'm telling a bunch. Um, Eden, Eden, uh, she, um, the reason she knows me and the reason she chose me to be a second, Mm -hmm. second AD on Ultimate Catron Team Go for the, uh, was it college? College Yeah, college humor. Um, The reason she chose me for that college humor job was because Uh, I was at my internship probably day three and I was I had some free time and they allow you to actually either read scripts or do your own work sometimes it was one of those things where I might have been on lunch I decided okay well I'll just while I'm at work I'm gonna schedule uh, I had some somebody wanted me to schedule a production for them just a schedule they didn't want anything more just pre-production so I was like okay I'll just pull up my movie magic it at work and hope someone sees it and so i was just like working on my movie magic like looking around like yeah okay um and eden walked up and she was like is that movie magic can you do movie magic and i was like yes and she's like oh my god i got like a 200 page script i need you to do you know schedule schedule <laughs> wow. all out for me and like plan it all out blah 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 and i was like uh okay i spent like a week on it i was like so obsessive like because she just imported it and when you do that sometimes it's like a mess Mm-hmm. And then she hires me later on as a second, second AD and asks me for advice about movie magic. And I'm like, wow, what? that's crazy. So that's amazing stuff. That's how you make it. It's just like constantly tell people what you want to do. What you are. Yeah. Who you are. Not what you want to do, but like, yes, who you are. Um, I was like, I'm an AD and I know movie magic. And so I'm going to just make sure everyone knows that. Yeah, um, no, that's great. Ad- that's great advice. You know, in her last episode, one of my biggest mistakes was not making it known that I was a director. Um, yeah, but people love you. So now when you do say <laughs> I'm a director, they're going to be but like, then they know oh, now, you know, yeah. but I think great advice. I mean, really smart move, you know, for people to know that you're familiar with the softwares that an AD uses. So that's, that's a really good story. And so I know you want to also, you know, get into the DGA. Oh yeah, that's you know, right. What have you done? You know, what is the process like? It's a lot of paperwork if you want to get into the DGA the old fashioned way, which I think it's ridiculous because if you want to be me in this industry as an AD, the only way to do that really like successfully, like with a family and all that, I mean, I beg to differ because you can freelance and still have a family and still do the thing. But with the reassurance that you're going to have like a retirement fund and all this other stuff, you have to get into the union. And so my whole thing has been collecting every, you have to collect, you don't even just collect paychecks, but you Mm -hmm. have to also collect a call sheet and Mm -hmm. wrap report. And people don't know that. And so they'll like, for a few times, we'll like just start collecting and collecting and collecting paychecks. And all of a sudden they're like, oh shit, I need a rap report from this place. I need a call sheet from this place. They get all, it's everywhere. And it, it actually happens to me on most occasions, but I have this huge accordion binder full of uh, mm. just all of my um, I bet it's so stuff. big. <laughs> it's pretty big, but the problem is like half of them don't count. 
towards Ugh. anything because and like, why is that because pa work no longer counts towards dga what yes so you wow. can become a union pa but you can't so you would have to add up all your pa gigs under not like a union oh, and it sucks right. sometimes it needs to be a union job in order for it to count yeah under a p you know it's like a whole thing and you have to do a bunch of reading and it's literally like doing like a dissertation or like a like a big like thesis thing. Right. It's like huge. And then people get it printed and like sometimes laminated. It's like huge. And then you can like do an online copy too. But I'm trying to streamline that shit. And you can get into the DGA training program, which is a two-year program um, through the DGA. Like 15 mm -hmm. people are accepted on each side of the uh, country. One in wow. New York, you know, in LA. And you get two years of being a second AD on big films and big, mm -hmm. uh, mostly big TV, I think now. Um, and then you are in the union. You can skip, I think you can skip dues as well. So you can just mm -hmm. skip all of that nice. and you just get into the union and there you right. are. And it's like the heck. So I'm trying really hard. I've, mm -hmm. I've submitted twice now. I know the more you apply, you've told me this, the more you apply, yeah. the more it's likely for you to get in. Um, you've also had different types of jobs as an AD. So you, you know, you first AD, you second AD, you second second. Can mm -hmm. you explain what those roles are to our audience and how did you get those different opportunities? Uh, ADing, first ADing, like I feel like every time someone asks any AD what an AD is, they always have like a stream of kind of the same answer, but it's always a little different. Mm -hmm. So like what I would say an AD is like you got to schedule, you have to be the communicator between everyone. So you're the communicator, the scheduler, um, you know, you're also the safety person, you got to keep on safety. Um, and, uh, you know, you also have sometimes you're freaking producing. Um, so that's why I say it's always different if you ask different people, but ultimately it's safety scheduling and communication mm -hmm. um, that really kind of come down to it. First eating is really like the schedule making, the communication, mm -hmm. like all of it. It's it's a lot, but you need people in order to keep track of everything that you're doing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, not only are you uh, keeping everyone in the loop, you have to also in the moment reschedule a lot of things on the spot. Like if anything changes, it's up to you to make it happen. You are the key person for everything. Um, you are the backbone that's going to hold us, like everyone together. You need to be a leader, yet you need to be a listener. It's like this, mm -hmm. you know, every single set is different. And I learned in LA that sometimes every set, I'm even if I'm a second AD or a second second AD, those jobs become interchangeable mm -hmm. when it's a, especially when it's a low budget. So when I second yeah. second AD, I did a lot of things that Keyset PA does. You know, and I did a lot of things that like a second AD does, but sometimes the second AD did what a lot of things that I would usually do. But if you want, but if you want to go with the streamlined way, like your AD is your boss. Second AD usually stays in the office and takes care of paperwork, call sheets for the next day. That's another thing is like communication means telling the entire crew what's going on at all times, at right times, getting people on, on and off set at the right times and making sure you finish your day. I mean, finishing your day is like your ultimate thing. So you're going to need people for that. Mm -hmm. And so you have your second AD who takes care of your call sheets, all of your scheduling, anything that you need, they're kind of there. Um, the second, second AD, if you can afford to have one, 
you know, and you can keep going a second, second, second AD, um, yeah. especially on things like Lord of the Rings, where you need a lot of like choreographing. <laughs> a big AD team. <laughs> yes. And like, sometimes that means having multiple key set PAs or like multiple PAs for certain things. But the second, second AD is in charge of the background action for the most part. Uh, they're there to make sure anything that's like left in the AD department that needs to be done. Um, it happens sometimes like I did sides as a second second, but sides sometimes most of the time I think are left to like the key set PA and the PAs. So I played like both roles on that one, but usually second seconds do a lot of like choreographing and picking up for this, you know, being a, a kind of runner between the two ADs. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, those are all the, the jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, like, how do you even get those opportunities? I think I start off with, uh, you know, my, my friend Kearney. I met her on a set. She got me my first job. It was great. And then that person kept contacting me. So you just have mm -hmm. to make sure you keep in contact, that you make sure that, like, I think I learned something in L.A. that was big, which is just always, always, as an AD, you're never going to do it perfectly. Mm -hmm. Like, it's never gonna be easy when it's a low budget thing. So just make sure that you keep those relationships solid. Yeah. If you don't do a great, 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 great job, just make sure that like you're super thankful, you're super understanding um, and that you like try your best. Yeah. Um, but I think ultimately getting those jobs, like I also have applied to a few jobs. As I was AD. gonna say, you've also used uh, job boards right or have you used have. Jobs to get those kind of jobs or was it just mainly like production production for the most part i think like mm -hmm. i get little connections sometimes like i'll respond to job boards on facebook ads or like email mm -hmm. things or like sometimes friends will like put on follow a bunch of people on instagram um, yeah. and just always look at their stories because some people are like asking for people um so find like a niche you can get into or a niche you can get into or whatever um, but for the most part, big, big job boards like Indeed and Staff Me Up aren't going to give you the stuff you need until you're in the union. And you rarely see an AD job on Staff Me Up unless it's a union job. And that's very rare. They don't mm. usually, they'll only go by who they know or mm -hmm. someone through the DGA. Like they'll put yeah. out a normal cast, like a normal notice or the director already knows or yeah. whatever. So I, some means like, though, you will find uh, you can actually go to a, like a little section that says you have to pay for some of these things. So yeah. you can also go on Craigslist and look up and yeah. find AD jobs just as easy. But some of these, like if you already have a job board that you're into, some of them have like um, free gigs. So you'll find a lot more AD stuff on there because people are desperate. And I have a couple people who contact me to this day who are like, you know, oh, we need an AD for this thing. Two day shoot. It's really you know, lame and we're not paying, but do you want it? And honestly, it's like those people are going to be people one day and they're going to see me and my work and see that I'm always willing to learn and they're going to be like, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think that's kind of the way to do it. Definitely. No, that's... If that's... you can, if you can. Yeah. free gigs are hard. <laughs> as long mm -hmm. as, you know, your money is consensual, as long as you've made an agreement. I've met you on a job board where it's going to be free. Mm -hmm. and we're going to work together on this understanding that it has to be free, then that makes it a little easier because then they don't have as much power to take advantage of you. Just make yeah. sure you're not taken advantage of when you work for free. Make sure you get paid. Kearney always told me that. Make sure you get paid. You're an AD. What are you talking about? You want to be an AD. No, you are one. Don't let them skimp you because you're new. Yeah. You know? No. That, and that leads us to the next question is when do you start saying no to those opportunities? And when is it safe to say no? Okay. I knew when I said no, 
And it was when I got like to my very edge. Um, and I was like, no, I never again am I gonna like, I think there is a point when you are, especially when you're entering the industry. I mean, I can preach it all day, but everyone's gonna do the same shit anyway. You get into this industry and you lose all self-respect. You're like, fuck my self-respect. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be your bitch now yeah. because I need a job <laughs> and I need you to pay attention to me. I need you to see that I'm cool. Yeah. And honestly, like I learned over the years, like producers don't like that. I was on the set. I was a script supervisor. I'm not giving a very clear answer, but <laughs> no, no, I was go a ahead. script supervisor at this one time. My last scripty job really ever. But they had this multi-camera, this like, crazy moving camera. And it would just like go on for like takes of like five to 10 minutes of just the camera moving all over this table. And they had me as a script supervisor. And I am there at like midnight. It's been like many hours. Like we're almost at like the time when we need to go home. And I'm oh. like, this isn't ending anytime soon. And I'm like, this guy tells me he's not even going to use my notes. <gasps> and I'm like, why am I even here? And I just got my money and got out of there. I was paid like $50 or something awful. Oh. And I realized I was worth way more than that. The mm-hmm. anxiety I felt like I was calling my mom, like, I don't know if I can, like, I was like, I cannot wait to get out of here. It's like, it was the longest night, yeah. Nathan. And I think I realized that it had nothing to do with like getting a job. It had nothing to do with like anything, but like me, I need yeah. to respect myself. And I was not respecting myself by taking that job that I knew they didn't appreciate me. Mm-hmm. Like I knew it. I knew they wouldn't use my notes. Like what? And I was trying to practice, you know, and be a good, like I had time, I could do it. But I realized you have to look at the facts and realize, okay, I respect myself enough to say no to this. I, I'm better than that. And I can get a job better than that. But I think it's like a very individual experience. I would say start saying no to things when you learn that you're a wonderful human. And yeah. um, the $50 isn't going to be worth it at the end of the day yeah. if you're dead. <laughs> and that's a great story. I mean, like sort of rediscovering your self-worth, I guess, and just mm-hmm. sticking up for yourself because it's kind of hard in this town, but you get, you, you'll get to a point. Right. And if- I think that's what this podcast was all about, right? Because I always, you know, Kearney taught me, she taught me, you are an AD. And I think mm-hmm. that like, that's the whole point is that you are what you are. Now, are you are you willing to go as that person that you are to that job that doesn't pay you? And if you're okay with that, then go for it. You know, if it's good practice, good people, good energy, you know, do mm-hmm. it for you. Um, it, Cause ultimately you're doing it for you. You're not doing it for anyone else. If they're not paying, you know, if they're not paying you, then you just, you got to like find that for yourself. Um, so what has your favorite shoot been as an AD? Do you have one? Do you have one that's, it doesn't even have to be your favorite one, like something you've learned. Okay, so the thing I learned is that when I AD'd with you, when I was in college, my mm-hmm. biggest AD job, my first big AD job was in college. And I was so grateful mm-hmm. for that because I could fail and ultimately it wouldn't ruin my whole career. Um, yeah. Although it might have ruined my senior year, but <laughs> it's and fine. And the film, no. <laughs> um, and, and the film and, you know, my crew and all of that, but it's fine. Um, but no, I took it really seriously and it was like, you know, it was big. We had like a crew of 30 or 40 people at one point. Mm-hmm. We had a dog on set. We were dealing with snow. We were dealing with outside, inside, barns, kids. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was huge. And because it's school, no one fucking listens to me. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> and you know yeah. what? My crew was amazing and everyone listened like more than any other like crew. Like everyone was really on top of it and it was really awesome. Mm-hmm. But no matter what, like we were all talking way too much. 
Um, yeah. And we were all a little too loud. And, <laughs> yeah. um, but something I learned when I came to LA is that number one, just don't make it a big deal. Being an AD is just as, you know, like as much as I have to hold everyone and as much as I have to make the day, um, something I learned on my very first AD thing was that like, I actually pushed them like we have our first day outside. So I have to raise my voice. I have to be, you know, loud. We actually made the whole day early. And that was something I was actually a little bit nervous about because if you push your crew too early, like too fast um, mm-hmm. and you finish the day early, they get mad because they're like, well, we could have gotten that shot we wanted earlier. Mm-hmm. And now we're done two hours early and we can't get it because of the light and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. you have to be careful and make sure you're timing everything really accurately. Yeah, that's a good um, one. Yeah. And I like, I ended up timing everything perfect so that we could have like a 45 minute break after lunch. Like it was like everyone laid down for 45 minutes to wait for the sun to go down because I was like so on top of it and it was great, right? I was like feeling myself, I was good. I was like bossing people around and doing the thing and yeah. (laughs) And, um, but it was all outside that day. And I come in the second day and I am screaming and we are in a small hallway. And I learned in that little, that was one of my favorite sets because it was all women. And it was my first time. And I was like, it was, the pressure was on the last two days of the shoot, like two hardest days ever. And Kearney was like, I'm so sorry. I would do it, but I have to leave and you need to do it. And I was like, okay. And we do it and it's amazing. But the entire time, like, you know, my producers are snickering because I'm fucking yelling everywhere. And we're in this tiny little thing. And I'm like, all right, everyone quiet on set. And there was this moment where I was like, I could use the walkie talk, you know, that's a better yeah. way of communicating. And like, let's be quieter. Let's be yeah. chiller. You know, I always thought it was this active role because it's the only thing I saw, but I think uh, like you need to like read the room like heavily mm-hmm. when you become an, an AD. And I think that was my first good experience um, as an AD. I was like, Oh, okay. Check myself. I am an AD, but I am always learning. And it is a job that doesn't really have a- a- ADs get mad because they can't be perfect. Right. You know, they can't control, they can't, they don't have any communication. Mm-hmm. No one's telling them anything. And that gets, makes everyone angry. And I learned on that set that I was like, oh, you can be quiet and people will read that energy and be like, oh, okay. So I think that was probably my favorite, like learning moment was my first set. Great. It's, it's yeah. fascinating to see different styles of ADing. But going mm-hmm. into that, I want to talk about your AD style. Uh, how do you mm-hmm. AD? You know, what works for you and what doesn't work for you? I think that's like a very good transition because as an AD, um, like I said, ADs are always trying to be perfect. I think like Mm -hmm. uh, my style uh, recently, um, actually all the things that I've done out here have been a learning experience. I think like any producer you talk to like would say like I did a good job, but I had some learning to do like we all do. Um, And I was, you know, new. I'm doing these like small budget things um, and uh, I think my style has become, like I said before, it's like I try to project how I want other people to feel. Um, so, you know, my style is like very communication friendly. Um, mm-hmm. Some, some like, you know, uh, 80s don't want to yell out like my, my mentor, uh, Spodak out mm-hmm. there, my, my college professor always said, oh, don't say like waiting on sound because that's rude. And something I would always do instead of saying like waiting on sound, I'd be like, hey, everyone, like, you know, like on the walkie, like, mm-hmm. hey, we're just waiting on sound. They have a few adjustments to make and then we'll get going. And like, that mm-hmm. allows everyone to know why we're just waiting around everywhere. And like, that's where you, if you just keep saying shit all the time, like mm-hmm. on the walkie, just keep informing people, keep saying stuff, keep saying stuff, keep saying stuff. Even if 
if there's like a the moment when we're just waiting around and I've already said it like maybe like a minute to you no know, like probably two minutes three minutes in like because mm-hmm. things happen like fast yeah. so if people are waiting in two three minutes is a long time and I'll say it again yeah. oh you know we're still going but we're good um so I've become like communication friendly which is like how That's... an AD should be yeah. but uh and then the other thing just being that I don't want to be a director. That's not my thing. I never uh-huh. wanted to be one. I don't like going to the movie theater, okay? Like, I will watch the movies that I want to watch that I think the trailers did a good job on, that I, like, mm-hmm. interesting, that I think are honestly diverse and awesome and, and speak a good message, and I like it. And that's the thing. I didn't get into this industry by, like, you know, like, when I was two holding a camera. Like, that's not – I mean, my dad's a photographer, but that never crossed my mind. Really, why I'm here is to get a job done and to feel – like I successfully made something with people. And so like, if you ask me a question about how you feel about the style, I will answer you that question because yeah. you are asking me it. But I never like go up to my director and try to like coddle them a lot. Right. And new directors have a really hard time with that. They want to be coddled. And I'm like, I can't deal with you, That's you know, true. figure it out. So I had this yeah. really great director on the last one I did. We did awesome. It was amazing. And, and something else I learned was like, if you're communicating and you know what's going on, like if you know where your actors are, you're good. Yeah. Um, and so like empowerment has really always been my thing and it hasn't always won out. People always take advantage of that when you're too mm. nice, but I like to empower people. Oh, you're doing a great job camera. And like, you know, when you're communicating, Hey, you know, we got our, you know, uh, camera operator here with like a huge camera let's get it going guys come on so like giving it a personal touch is like kind of how i found to find i I don't know i found allies through there if you want to use that word i don't know yeah you know you'll find your people that way find your people that way and like that's yeah ultimately the best thing so that's awesome i think that's it just always be learning that's Mm -hmm. where you gotta be yeah you're right i mean there is like so many ways you can go about it but there's only a handful of ways that will work best for you and yeah in your style so now we're getting to the end of it what advice do you have to share for rookies who are beginning and they could be in production or they can be wanting to be an ad Mm -hmm. what advice do you have to share i mean my original answer was going to be what kiernie told me like a couple years ago which was you are what you are you have to claim that And like, that's why we created the podcast. And that was going to be like my answer. Because I think that like, we've both experienced things where we've heard from big corporate land and like Mm -hmm. big productions and Warner Brothers and Paramount. But we don't hear about like the lower level people. And like, why? Because those people feel like they haven't made it yet. Mm -hmm. um, That they haven't like gotten to where they need to go. And so we never really like feel like we have accomplished anything. And I think like I... uh, and we have this imposter syndrome. So when you come yeah. out to LA, it's okay to always claim what you are. You are mm-hmm. an AD. Yes, you're a be- you're, yes, you're beginning. But of course you are. That's already obvious. You don't need to say you're a beginner AD or like a mm-hmm. starting off AD or, or a new AD. You are an AD. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to say. Um, and I think I, I think I need to claim my confidence and then also learn things and also be yeah. learning. I think like, Basically, my advice is just to find the middle ground between always learning, always being open to criticism, and knowing who you are, um, and just, you know, claiming who you are in your career and who you are. So let's go to uh, the middle portion of the podcast. So Maggie, your social justice experience. I really Mm -hmm. want to talk to you about this. 
When did you start getting into activism? And what has your journey been like? You know, you, you, you did some things and you did some uh, documentary projects in, in Chicago that involved activism. You know, it was, can you remind me again what that was? So I think everything when it comes to documentary filmmaking, uh, I, I st- actually, I started my documentary work in at SBCC. So I made mm-hmm. um, a, uh, I made two documentaries there first. And um, my first one was on the drought in California. Uh, it was back in 2013, I think. And so we were going through a really bad drought in Southern California. I was living mm-hmm. in Santa Barbara. And so I made a whole documentary on the drought because I was super uh, mad about my neighbors. They mm-hmm. had like the greenest lawns there ever was. And I was so annoyed because I was like, you're turning on your sprinklers in the morning. I know you are. I know you turn them on at like four in the morning to avoid mm-hmm. it, but like, no. So I made this whole, you know, documentary about it. It, it was really great. I loved, I love editing documentaries. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Cause you can just make it anything you want. And so yeah. I got really into it. I had taken my first doc class, my, uh, my man Osiris out there. He's my uh, documentary teacher. <laughs> I mm-hmm. love him. He's, he encouraged me to like be really passionate about this stuff. And then I got the opportunity through my church. I'm an Episcopalian, very, uh, <laughs> very like, I, I like to think we're a very liberal church. Um, and we, uh, you know, have women priests and, and conferences about, racism but anyway yeah. they they offered this uh pilgrimage to ferguson missouri where uh michael brown was shot and killed by a police officer mm-hmm. um while walking home um he had uh you know he had come from a convenience store and had his hands up did the whole thing um it was pretty intense uh we went to the actual location where he was murdered um and you know walked there uh, we had discussions throughout the week. We visited Ferguson. We had discussions with their leadership there. Um, we met a lot of amazing people. And I am very much a white women, woman going to Ferguson, Missouri to learn about racism and anti-racism. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm coming in with a camera. And how do I approach this? And it was like mm-hmm. a very big eye-opening thing for me and I think it Mm -hmm. um yeah that was like a big that was my big documentary I went to Ferguson and it was called my uh, journal from Ferguson that was my way of somehow being able to take myself out of it and be like okay this is my journal this is this is a white woman's journal Mm -hmm. not anyone else's because I mean I I can't like really tell that story so the entire time you know I had to be the narrator, but I really yeah. tried to like express everyone's voices. And back then when I didn't really understand what anti-racism really was, um, when I wish I could be doing it now where I like have a little bit more of a grasp, I'm yeah. still proud of it. I'm still proud of like the, you know, at, at least I'm happy with getting the information out there to getting, mm. you know, all of that out there and stuff. I traveled with my documentary. I brought it to a festival. I brought it to my church. I brought it to multiple places and communities basically i was just trying to preach anti-racism understanding Mm -hmm. that we have these social boundaries let's talk about it that's all you need to do like and they were like well where can i donate what do i do and Mm. i'm like did you watch the documentary and i was like going around like california like why can no one listen to me didn't they see my documentary and i would get angry and i ended up going to college and i did a lot of stuff on feminism Mm-hmm. I got super into feminism, actually, because I was gaslit into it 
my friends kind of gaslit me into being a feminist. And yeah, honestly, I don't think I'm like horribly cool with that. But also I'm like, well, that's also helped me become who I am. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I became the feminist of the group. And um, I think I lost my way when it came to documentary filmmaking and like my feminism because feminism uh, and, and just sexism, actually, in general, yeah. uh, it all strain from racism. So mm-hmm. something that I was so focused on was racism for so long. And mm-hmm. then I started getting into feminism and I kind of lost uh, yeah. that role. Mm-hmm. Since COVID, things have changed. And yes. I think that, um, you know, we have, we're living in the biggest civil rights movement of, uh, you know, our, our history. And I think that I'm reminded again of why I picked up my camera in the first place. It was never like steady footage and nice things in the corporate world and getting into the DGA. It was like, you know, like capturing something mm-hmm. amazing and like being able to um, project other voices out there. Cause that was what I wanted to do. Like I, that's how I started. So I think that now going into all of this and going into my career, I'm, I'm trying to educate myself the best I can. So I'm going back to school um, trying to actually learn uh, the history that we were so poorly taught uh, and, and maybe not taught at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading a lot of books. I'm learning about allyship, but also, you know, the different words for allyship, like co-conspirator. That's really what I uh, use, co-conspirator. Mm. Um, it's from a book. Uh, this book is anti-racist, actually. I mm-hmm. think that's what it's from. Um, but she talks about being a co-conspirator and this idea that we are going against what is the norm. Um, yeah. So I think that's where I'm at. Uh, if I enter, a, like if I have a job opportunity, um, I'm going to make sure my allyship and my, you know, being a co-conspirator is thought of first before I take the job, um, mm-hmm. that it's thought of so that like yeah. I bring it up and I'm not afraid because honestly, um, I'm very privileged. Uh, I have, you know, I'm white. Um, I'm, you know, I might be a woman, but I'm, a white woman and mm-hmm. I can use my, you know, I can, I don't have to look like the angry black woman. I can be the one screaming and people will actually listen to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where I'm at with that. I think right. that like, I'm not going to settle and it's okay. Yeah. I'm going to borrow from my white parents until yeah. I figure it out. I don't like, I don't have to like worry about that. So I'm not going to feed into it just so I can advance my career. Um, yeah. That's not something I want to do. And it's something right. I've struggled with, with previous jobs, jobs that might take me back um, that I realized they've treated me poorly. They've treated, not me probably, like, sorry. <laughs> they've treated my coworkers poorly. They mm. haven't given them the raises or the credit that they deserve. Mm. And in fact, they blame them for certain things. And sure, I was up in arms about it. I was mad about it. I would, you know, yell at that, yell with them about it all day long, but they wouldn't know how to approach bigger people about it without the fear of like oh well what do i do and it's like now i'm like well i am forever ever ever going to be fighting for anti-racism i'm never going to be like i'm not always going to be fighting to be a first ad so i think that's how i'm going about it with my career it's just that my career is anti-racism and helping Mm. not helping people but helping myself because this is all of our problem and um that's what my job is humanity yeah that's what it is Absolutely. And I feel like yeah. people now are getting a more sense of like what anti-racism is. And it's not just saying that you're not racist. It's for standing up in those moments and just calling out those remarks or just saying, you know, that's not okay. Yeah. My eyes are opening to the idea that like, oh shit, I was doing all this feminist work for white women. I wasn't doing feminist work for women everywhere. 
Um, and I was like, I, I, just because I wasn't thinking about it, I need to be thinking about that always, mm -hmm. um, that, that they have to deal with both. So I'm learning I mean, about that. Yeah, you're, you're learning a lot. I mean, you're like, you know, you're, you're self-educating, you're reading tons of books, you, you're listening to a lot of podcasts. And so let's, you know, we're getting close to the end and so much to talk about what's going on in the world, but I kind of wanted to direct this conversation on Hollywood and in the industry. Mm -hmm. So what is happening to Hollywood with racism? And, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so, you know, how are we getting back to shooting? Well, I think it's interesting because some people are actually coming out with stuff that's like pretty recent. I think it's yeah. pretty cool, which is awesome. Um, but recently I've seen the most, I think we talked about this with David a couple weeks ago, um, just about how uh, they're changing a lot of like characters, uh, you know, who have been like Jenny Slate, who played um, a character on Big Mouth, uh, who mm. was black and Jewish. And she felt she could play her because she did have a white Jewish, she had a, like a white Jewish mom on the, the show. So she felt that, oh, well, you know, I can, I can play, or at least like it was a more like white uh, Jewish woman. And it's like, okay, well, I can play her because, you know, I'm Jewish. And mm -hmm. uh, the minute all this stuff happened, she came out with being like, oh, you know, I'm not going to play that character anymore. And so now they're yeah. going to bring in a black actor to play it. But like, what about the producers of that show? What about yeah. all the white men who have that show on lock right now? Like, why don't they step down? They're still going to get paid for their characters, but like, why don't they have like more characters, BIPOC characters? Like yeah. where is their producing team at? What about their crew? What about their draw? Like what, you know, who, like who does all the illustration? Like what about those people? I want to hear about how you're the writing and who, who the writers who also develop those characters and right. the, the casting directors as well. We need to, <sighs> yes. you know, we need accurate representation. Oh my God. Yes. And it's like, I want to hear about that stuff. And all I hear yeah. about is, oh, the representation is going to be shown better. I'm like, that's mm -hmm. great. That's the next, but the next step in our, like this civil rights movement, you know, the first, like that, our civil rights movement back in like, you know, the sixties was all about like, you know, the desegregation, you know, like we, we just wanted to make sure that, you know, everyone had like equal right to mm -hmm. like be in spaces. Um, and now we're, we're not just, we don't just want an equal right on our TV, mm -hmm. right? Like we want representation past that. Yeah. You know, we want to make sure that those people on those TV shows are also working behind the scenes that we're, we're not just showing it. We're actually like doing it in our yeah. society. So mm -hmm. that's my two cents on what's going on in the industry. Um, and going over to the next conversation about Hollywood COVID, you know, we're in a pandemic um, and production companies, Hollywood has sort of given them the green light to go out and start shooting. You know, yeah. they have guidelines now. Hollywood's unions have published a detailed breakdown of what those guidelines are. Mm -hmm. um, so they've green light them for uh, music, videos, uh, film, television. Hollywood's starting to sort of pick up again. But yeah. I mean, we, you and I don't have a job. <laughs> so, um, and a lot of these shoots are small crews. Like, and I don't know how people hours. are doing it because- We have no idea how they're doing it. How? And, and honestly, I don't know how PAs, I don't know how uh, like yes. workers are doing it though, because I like, how do you go off of unemployment for one job and guarantee that there's another job following it enough? Like, how are they getting people to work 
like get off of unemployment to work for them because like right. i'd be like um no i'm not taking this i'm sure everybody can relate to that it's like you know if you're getting unemployment like do you want to go back to work do you want to go out and seek those opportunities i mm-hmm. think not <laughs> like no excuse me it's like right. how are you supposed to make that decision that's so mean like yeah <laughs> excuse me yeah again you're you're risking your life you're risking of giving getting covid to yeah. work for a commercial or a music video and advance your career during a time when there is no career to career. advance. <laughs> exactly. It's it's so it's so I hate saying this word, but it's just so interesting to see. It's so interesting. Oh my god. If we put this in audience, we say interesting a million times. Too many times, many times and we you, cut it so that you it? don't hear it. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. I only keep like You two don't even know this because we cut it. We don't yes. we'll probably we cut this, but it'll be fine. Um, anyway, yeah, COVID's crazy, but like, honestly, it is approaching that creepy feeling of like, shit, I don't have a job. It's ha- yes. happening to me. And I can't imagine people who didn't get on to unemployment. And that's where I'm like happy. Cause I think those are the PAs going out there. The guys mm-hmm. who never actually got EDD to get back to them. Um, yeah. and Which is by the happening. way, did they, <laughs> I'm still in the, I'm in the position where EDD still hasn't reached out to me. So I'm, would you take a job way. right now? If someone offered it to you though, I, I still have some money to, you know, hold me out a little. I don't know. I, <laughs> like, I don't it's know like, I what, it. how do you make, yeah, exactly. I'd rather spend that time and energy trying to get a hold of EDD than uh, take a job, I know, honestly. but it's like, is there anyone on the other line or is we'll it see. just, we'll just have to see what happens, but. Anyway. anyway, we are getting to the end of our podcast and mm-hmm. we just want to talk about ways to help with BLM, um, you know, abolish ICE, <laughs> please abolish call Congress, ICE. call Shit. Congress to defund, dismantle, um, and abolish some. Brianna Taylor. And then, <laughs> yes, justice for Brianna Taylor. And, you know, I'm still constantly seeing trans women who are still being murdered out in the mm-hmm. streets. And, Black women, BIPOC say. women yeah. are so important. Like, and, and when I say women, I mean with an X, we mean our trans women too. Yeah, you're yeah. right. I mean, I see it a lot. Um, and it's just, it's very ugly. Uh, women aren't um, really thought of in the same respect uh, mm-hmm. as uh, black men um, when coming to, like, when it comes to uh, mm-hmm. yeah, pro- police brutality. So yeah, that's a good one uh, to yes. reflect on. And also Yemen um i don't think i mentioned this in the last episode but you know we're not only it's not only america that's going through a hard time right now there's um there's a link to link tree on instagram um and that link um gives you information yeah with, uh yemen and what they're going through mm-hmm. and donations and how you, how those donations will help provide assistance and resources too yeah and and, and with that link tree you'll you'll find different links um to other organizations, other movements, um, other things that are happening. So. Yeah, and if anyone has a suggestion um, on what you know what they want to bring to light, uh, please, us. yeah, DM us, comment. Um, if you have any thoughts on our conversations, uh, if please you, let us know. Yeah, because uh, we are always willing to learn. It's our mm-hmm. what we're here for. Um, so yeah. But yeah, so Maggie. This Thank is you, it. <laughs> this was your episode. Um, Thank you for listening to me. I'm a talker, everyone. I talk forever, and then I lose track of what I'm saying. It's it's bad. No, it's great. I think you really, <laughs> you know, you really gave some solid advice, and you know, we did talk a lot, but a lot of it was really important to what our podcast is about. Yeah, it was super fun, Nathan. Thank you for uh, 
planning such a wonderful episode for me. Oh, of course. You've made it wonderful with your experience. But anyway, guys, we are on Spotify. Uh, Please comment. Please let us know what you guys think. Follow our Instagram page. And we will see you next time. Yeah. Okay, thank you, everyone. Bye.